Scripture this night will be taken from Genesis 25, verses 7 and 8. Genesis chapter 25, verses 7 and 8. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. We're glad that you're here tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to be here. We're glad that those who were traveling to Missouri made it safely, and we trust that it'll be a good week. I'm supposed to go up on Tuesday, and hopefully and prayerfully I'll be able to make it up and back safe and sound in one day. But we are, we are certainly grateful that they have chosen to make this mission trip, and we pray that much and everlasting good will come forth. I do want to announce that this morning Ben Rickman obeyed the gospel, and we rejoice in that. We're very thankful for his decision to become a Christian. He is to be in the seventh grade this coming year, 12 years old, and we're very thankful that he has chosen to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we encourage all of our young people to live for the Lord and to live in such a way so that one day we can all be together in heaven. And we're grateful for our young people and the fact that they want to live for the Lord and that they want to be a light in this world. And so we're very grateful for all of our young folks. Tonight we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 25 and we're going to be talking about living life to the fullest. And I, begin, I guess as we begin tonight, I do want to, one other announcement, I do want to remind everyone that our VBS begins in about two weeks, I believe. And I know that some of the teachers are already making preparations for our VBS, which will run from Monday night through Thursday night. I encourage each of you to reach out to your friends and neighbors, encourage them to come and to be a part of this. We want to have a lot of young people here, and we're grateful to all of you who are participating in this endeavor. It is a great, it is a great work, and there are a lot of young folks that have the opportunity for the first time to hear about Christ, and so we're grateful for that, that great work. Tonight, as we look at Genesis chapter 25, we're going to be talking about living life to the fullest. What would you consider to be the ultimate life. There are a lot of people in our world today, they are trying to decide what is life all about. Sadly, there are many individuals throughout our world that have difficulty understanding the true nature of life, what it's all about. And I think that's one of the reasons why they look in any number of avenues rather than looking to the scriptures and finding out what is it that God says in his word? What is it that makes a person complete? What is it that brings fullness to a person's life? Because I think all of us, we want to, to live life to the fullest. We want, to, we want to be satisfied. We want to be happy. We want to find contentment. We want to be successful. And so how do we go about achieving that? What is it that we can do to live life to the fullest. I want to call your attention to a man by the name of Abraham, a man that many of us are familiar with in the Old Testament scriptures. Abraham and Sarah were two of God's great servants in days gone by. And I really believe when you look at these two individuals, one of the things that ought to stand out, really ought to leap out from the pages of the Bible, 
is the fact that these two people live life to the fullest. And so with that in mind, I want to begin by talking about the family of Abraham. And we're really emphasizing here his descendants. And Abraham was, he was a great man. And the Bible calls him the friend of God. Abraham became a channel in bringing the Christ, the Messiah, the promised seed to fruition. As we think about his family or his descendants, it really begins with the promise of a son. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham to leave his country, his kindred, and his family. And he said that he was to come to a land that he would show him. And he said, I will make of you a mighty nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless them that bless you. I will curse them that curse you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. That promise, as you well know, finds its fulfillment in Jesus, according to Galatians chapter 3. Those of us who have obeyed the gospel, who are New Testament Christians, we are heirs according to that promise. We are, as Paul said, Abraham's seed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 29. If you turn over to Genesis chapter 15, God says to Abraham, I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. Now bear in mind that God has promised that in him, that is through his lineage, all nations of the earth would be blessed. At this point in time, Abraham and Sarah have no child. And so no doubt they're questioning in their minds, how is God going to bring this to fruition? The only heir in the household of Abraham was a servant. As a matter of fact, he speaks of Eliezer. Well, God tells him that that heir would come through his seed. Now, unfortunately, Abraham and Sarah, they, try, they tried to help God out. And that's why we have, that's why we have Hagar. And a child born to Abraham and Hagar by the name of Ishmael. And really all they did in the long ago, they messed everything up. But nonetheless, God in the long ago promised to bless Abraham and Sarah with a child. This child was eventually born in their old age. And no doubt, it was something unbelievable to Sarah and Abraham. But this child became the link in the, in the chain of the promised seed. We talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, the family of David, and on and on. But the Christ came through the descendants of Abraham. But there is, in talking about Abraham and the promise of this son, if we look at our lesson text, we have what I call the passing of a saint. Now we're talking about the family of Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. They are getting up in years in life. Abraham and Sarah have been married for many, many years. And the Bible tells us that Sarah died. We first think about his marriage to Sarah 
And then following her death, his mourning for Sarah. Drop back, if you would, and look at Genesis chapter 23. And listen to what is said. Moses here, of course, is the inspired writer, and he is giving us a commentary on the life and the death of Sarah. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died, and the Bible says she died in the land of Canaan, that is in Hebron, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. I think about all of the events that took place in the lives of these two people. And we have really a narration of their lives going back to chapter 12. The highs, the lows, the good times, the bad times, the joys, the frustrations, their steps of faith, their lack of faith, if you please, at times. And yet, we come to the end of her life here on planet Earth. And Moses says that when she died, Abraham came to mourn for her and to weep for her. This is the first time to my knowledge in the Old Testament that we have a record of somebody dying and a funeral taking place. Arrangements are made for her burial. Abraham buys a field, the cave of Machpelah, so that he might bury his beloved wife. Now we talk about death and those of us here tonight, we are no strangers to death. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the sting of death. If you live long enough, you will feel the sting of death. You'll lose family members, friends, co-workers, classmates. Death is a common reality on planet Earth. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, after this cometh the judgment. Death is a natural part of life. Unless Jesus comes, you and I, we will face death. But Moses tells us that when Abraham lost his wife, that he mourned for her and he wept for her. Those are natural expressions to death. I think sometimes individuals beat themselves up because they are in mourning, because they continue to weep and shed tears over the loss of a loved one. Listen, that is a natural part of life. When death robs us of a loved one, we have, to not, we have to have an outlet. And so there's nothing wrong with mourning the loss of that person that has been very close to us. I had an individual tell me not long ago, and he does a lot of, a lot of seminars that relate to, to death. And he said, it's really like an amputation when a husband or wife loses their mate. I think by the same token, individuals that lose children or grandchildren, it is, it's, it's like an amputation. Many years ago, my uncle died. I was in high school. I was, I think I was 17 at the time. And my aunt was relatively young. 
she was probably in her late 50s. And when my uncle died, his mother was still living. And my aunt and uncle had been married for many, many years. And I remember my cousin telling me that her, that her grandmother, my uncle's mother, told her it was harder losing my son than the husband that I lived with for many years. I simply say that to point out that death is difficult to deal with for all of us. And so we have the marriage of Abraham and Sarah, Abraham's mourning for Sarah, and then there is a third thing I would call attention to. His moving forward after Sarah, that is, after her death. Look, if you would, at chapter 25. In chapter 25, verse 1, here's what the Bible says. Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Now, people deal with death in many ways. Sometimes individuals will lose a mate and they will choose to live the life of a single. And that's their, that's their prerogative, that's their choice. Sometimes, however, individuals will choose to marry again. The reason that I have this point is because I believe it's important for us in the face of death to move on. I'm not saying it's easy. When, when you lose somebody that has been a life partner or when you lose a child or a grandchild or a brother or sister or somebody who has been close to you for many, many years, it's not easy to deal with that. But life goes on. I can't tell you the number of times that I have gone to the hospital. I, I reflect back over the years. I remember one time, it's been over 20 years ago. I visited a lady in the hospital on a Friday evening and she had terminal brain cancer. And I knew that she was not gonna live more than a few hours or maybe a couple of days. And I left there thinking, this woman is about to step out into eternity and there's a vast world out there going about their daily duties, trying to decide what they're gonna do tonight, what they're gonna do this weekend, et cetera. And, and, the, and really the bottom line is this, life rolls on whether we like it or not. When death comes, it leaves a void. We cannot replace the person that has died. There's no way to do that. I would not even try to encourage us to attempt to fill that void in, in the sense of replacing him or her. But I would say that we have to move on. We have to understand that it takes time and the Lord. I, I'm not sure that we ever get over losing a loved one somebody that's very close to us. What I think occurs is we learn to live with it. We learn to bear it the best we can. And so time in the Lord. Here's what the psalmist said many years ago. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help 
in time of trouble. And so if you read Genesis chapter 25, Abraham marries Keturah, and they have children. And so Abraham, for all intents and purposes, has moved forward. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study tonight. We talk about the family of Abraham. Note also the fortune of Abraham. When we talk about the fortune of Abraham, what I want you to see is the distribution of his assets. Note, first of all, the wealth of Abraham. Verse 5, the Bible tells us Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Abraham was a very rich man. Back in Genesis chapter 13, Moses tells us regarding Abraham that he was rich in livestock, in gold, and silver. In chapter 24, listen if you would to what is said about the wealth of this man. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. Now there are a lot of things that we could say about this, but there are just a couple of things that come to my mind. Number one, there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having money. I'm grateful to people that are wealthy, especially individuals who are willing to share what God has blessed them with. And Paul talks about that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that those who are rich are not to be haughty or high-minded, but rather to trust in the living God, and they are to distribute or share what they have for the betterment of mankind. And so I'm grateful to people that have money and that are willing to use their resources to help other people, to, to further the cause of Christ. The second thing that comes to mind is this, we can't take it with us. Abraham was a wealthy man, but guess what? He was going to die. And at death, everything that Abraham possessed here on earth was gonna stay behind. We are but stewards of that which has been entrusted into our care. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. We came into this world with nothing, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We may have the idea that we're going to take our possessions with us, that we're going to somehow control our estate after death, and we can to a certain extent by way of a will, but we can't take our money, our stocks, our bonds, our land, our houses, our cars, our clothes, all of that stays behind. It will eventually become someone else's. And so Abraham is a wealthy man and he gives everything that he has into the hands of his son Isaac. But then note verse six, we have the wisdom of Abraham. The text tells us Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. While he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. Now, you might ask the question, why would he do that? You ever wonder why he would do that? I think, num number one, he wanted to make sure that Isaac was in full and complete control of his estate, so he entrusted everything that he had into his hands. 
But secondly, I believe that he sent the sons that were born to him by concubines away so that after his death, there would be no disputes with Isaac about what had been left into his hands. You ever seen families at war following the death of a loved one? Many of us have probably seen instances where someone dies and then it's almost a rat race. Who can get what? And there are all kinds of, of activities that go on, people wrestling for the control of another individual's estate. So Abraham, I think in wisdom, said, guess what? I'll stop that. I'll make sure that doesn't happen, so I'll just send them away. And that's what he did. But there's a third thing I want you to see in verses 7 through 10. And that is the future of Abraham. When we talk about the future of Abraham, I guess the first thing we need to talk about is his death. Because Abraham, like Sarah, is going to step out into eternity. The brevity of his life. Look at verse 7. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. A hundred, one hundred and seventy-five years. Verse 8. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. Abraham lived to be 175 years of age. That's a long time. The psalmist talks about how we may be blessed to live to be 70 years of age. He said it may be the case that we live to be 80 years of age, but he said it is soon cut off and we fly away. The bottom line is this, you're not going to get out of this this life without tasting the sting of death unless Jesus comes first. That's why in verse 12 of Psalm 90, the psalmist said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. James in the long ago compared life to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Job said man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. 175 years of age, that's a long life. I think about people today that live to be 80 or 90 years of age. That's a long life. People that live that long are blessed. The flip side of that is this. 70, 80, 90 years, 175 years, nothing in comparison to eternity. You just think about that. Abraham lived nearly 4,000 years ago. He's been dead for almost 4,000 years. So what's 175 years? You and I, we may be blessed to live to be 70, 80, 90, 100 years of age, but as the psalmist said, at some point in time, this life will be cut off and we'll fly away. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 talks about the physical body deteriorating as, as it grows older. And he said eventually death intervenes and the body returns to the dust from whence it was taken and the spirit to God who gave it. And so the brevity of his life, but then consider if you would the blessings of Abraham's life. When we talk about the blessings of his life, look again at verse 8. 
Abraham breathed his last, died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. I think about the fullness of his life. A lot of living was packed into those 175 years. And those of us who are, those of us who are here today, my encouragement would be that we ought, to, we ought to use every day as if it were our last. We ought to strive to maximize every day, make the most of life, Whatever talents or whatever abilities God has blessed you with, use them to his glory. Live the kind of life that, live the kind of life that will be a blessing to others. Live the kind of life that, that ultimately brings honor and glory to Almighty God because that's what life is all about. When we talk about the fullness of life, I'm reminded of what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Solomon, you recall, experienced a lot of different things in life. As a matter of fact, Solomon tried it all. And if you go through the 12 chapters, you'll find that Solomon tries one thing after another. His conclusion is, it's all vanity. It's like grasping after wind. And so in chapter 12, he tries to put life into perspective. Okay, what's life all about? What's going to bring fullness to my life, what's gonna make me happy? What's gonna give me a sense of, of peace and accomplishment about my life? Here's what he said, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole, that is, this is the whole sphere of man. This is what life is all about. That's where a lot of people miss it in our world. There are a lot of people in our world today, it's about self. It's about what makes me happy. It's about what makes me tick. It's about bringing gratification and pleasure to my life. Nothing wrong with pleasure, nothing wrong with gratification. As we said a moment ago, nothing wrong with riches and wealth. But the point is, realize what's really important in life. Step back and look at life and, and decide or discern. This is what brings fullness to one's life. When, when I've talked to people in days gone by who have gotten up into years, I don't recall ever talking to anyone who's lived a faithful life for the Lord and who has said to me, I regret I spent my life in service to God. I don't recall anyone ever saying that to me. But you, wouldn't, you would be surprised at the number of people that have expressed regret because they didn't do this or they didn't do that in the realm of spiritual things. It's about fullness of life. And then add to that faithfulness in life. You see, we talk about the fullness of Abraham's life and then the faithfulness of Abraham's life. In James chapter 2, verse 23, Abraham is called the friend of God. Was Abraham perfect? It wasn't perfect. Matter of fact, back in Genesis chapter 12, you know what Abraham did? He lied about Sarah. Not only did he do it once, he did it twice. Abraham was not a perfect person. But when you read Hebrews chapter 11, about all these great men and women of God, guess whose names you find recorded in that great chapter? Abraham 
and Sarah. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he knew not, obeyed. Faith and obedience. I believe that's why he was called the friend of God. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so here is a man who was faithful. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. We're not perfect, but we're striving to be faithful. We're striving to give, give it our best every day. John said, and the longer ago, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. All he's saying is, Yes, we may stumble and fall as children of God, but if we live a life in harmony with the will of God, the promise is the blood of Christ is constantly at work, we have the assurance of heaven. How do I know that? Well, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you, that you sin not. That's the ideal. But he said, if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John is saying... Our ideal, rise above sin. If we succumb to temptation and we sin, what do we do? We turn to the Lord. We ask forgiveness. We repent. And the Lord cleanses us from our sins. Now I want you to think with me about his destiny. We talked about his death, the fullness of his life, and the faithfulness of his life. Two things here. Look at chapter 25 at verse 8. Moses said with regard to Abraham that he breathed his last, died in a good old age, that is at 175 years, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. First, the reunion of, of Abraham with his people. Note that phrase. Abraham was gathered to his people. What do you think he's talking about there? I think what he is saying is that when death occurs... This body stays behind. The inward man, that is the spirit of man, steps out into that eternal realm, into the realm called Hades. When we talk about Hades, there are really two places that the Bible speaks of. The Hadean realm is the realm of the dead, the righteous and the unrighteous. The righteous are said to go to a place called paradise, according to Luke chapter 23. You remember Jesus, while on the cross, said to one of the thieves, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the abode of the righteous. It's also called Abraham's bosom in Luke 16. The abode of the unrighteous is spoken of by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2. It is a place that in the original language is spelled T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S, Tartarus. It is the abode of the unrighteous. And Peter speaks of the angels that sinned. And he said, God cast them down. Some translations say hell. Really, in the original, it is Tartarus, the abode of the dead, the abode of the unrighteous. So Abraham dies. He is gathered to his people. What people do you think he was gathered to? I think he was reunited with his wife, Sarah. Sometimes people ask the question, will we know one another in the next world? 
My answer would be absolutely. I can't imagine living this life to the fullest, being blessed with associations of so many people, and then stepping out into eternity only to never see them again. To the faithful, I would say that we will one day be together and we will know our loved ones. Let me give you an example. In, in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12, at verse 23, we read about a child that had been born to David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba, of course, and David, they had engaged in an adulterous relationship. The child was conceived through this extramarital relationship. The child was conceived and born. The child became ill and subsequently died. David was distraught while that baby was alive because that baby was very ill, gravely ill. When that baby died, here is what David said. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I think what David was saying is, one day I will step out into eternity and I will be with that baby. I can't imagine stepping out into eternity and not knowing my loved ones that have lived for the Lord. In Matthew chapter 17, we read about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Bible says that Moses and Elijah appeared on that mountain. They were recognizable by Peter, James, and John. So when we die, we do not lose our identity. Abraham was gathered to his people. When you and I step out into eternity, I believe that if we go to heaven and our people go to heaven, there'll be a great reunion. There are a lot of, there are a lot of positives that, that emerge from a study of heaven. I mean, to think about being in a place where death will be no more, there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying. Because as John said in Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, these things have passed away. I mean, that alone ought to be incentive enough to want to go to heaven. Then to think that we will be with God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But to me, one of the great incentives of heaven is to know that I will be reunited with people I've known and loved. I look forward to one day being with people that I've known and loved through the years. And I hope you do too. And then finally, the resting place of Abraham with his people. When death comes, the spirit, the inward man, steps out into eternity. It is left to our family members, for lack of a better way to say it, to dispose of our body. That is to give us a proper burial. Sarah, when she died, Abraham bought a cave in Hebron, which really is located just south of Jerusalem. And so when he died, 
The Bible says that the sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre. Verse 10, Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. So here, here are two sons. They come together to bury their, their father. I'm not sure how many funerals I've conducted over the years. More than I would like to think. But when I stand at the side of an open grave and I know that person has been a faithful child of God, the thing that comes to my mind is this is not the end. Death is simply a corridor that leads to a whole new way of life. That is, a whole new realm of existence, eternity. Yes, the body is placed in the ground. Abraham and Sarah, they were placed in that cave nearly 4,000 years ago. But do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, at some point in time known only to God in heaven, there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Jesus said, all that are in the graves shall come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. One day, the body will be resurrected. It will be reunited with that inward spirit, that is, with the soul of man. And we will then reside either in heaven or hell. And so I want to close tonight by asking this question Are you living life to the fullest? There are a lot of things you could say about Abraham and Sarah, but to me, when I look at the life of Abraham, what comes to my mind is, here's a guy that lived life to the fullest. He made wise usage of his life. I want to ask you this question. Are you making wise usage of your life? The clock is ticking. Paul said that we are to redeem the time. Solomon in the long ago said, who knows what a day may bring forth. We have no idea what's on tomorrow or on the morrow. And so my, my encouragement, my advice to all of us, live in such a way so that one day we can be with God in heaven. Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel? If not, could we encourage you to do that? I spoke just a moment ago about Abraham and the promise that was made to him in Genesis chapter 12 when God said, "In you shall all families of the earth be blessed. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, you are all sons of God by faith through Christ Jesus. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, whether it's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. For you're all one in Christ, and if you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. When you obey the gospel, you enjoy all the promises and blessings made to Abraham 4,000 years ago. And you have the hope of life eternal. If you're here today, maybe you're not faithful. Maybe your life's not what it ought to be. Could we pray with you and for you? The Bible says God will abundantly pardon. Would you come as we stand and sing?